Welcome to the Renee Frazier Show, Why Women. Our show is dedicated to topics and issues that are common in women's lives. We're here to offer advice to help women lead and succeed as we dig deep into issues that women face every day in their lives and in business. I'm Renee Frazier. I run and operate a advertising agency, which I founded in 1998. Our focus is on doing well by doing good with campaigns using social media, digital media, radio, television, and print, integrated efforts for clients like Lexus, Hyundai, the Department of Public Health, Jonathan Lewis Furniture, and a variety of other consumer products and health institutions. But on the show, I'd like to talk about how we can help women lead and succeed. Today, we're taking on the issue of sexual assault and equal pay. I was quite shocked by the statistics that one out of six, one out of every six women in the U.S. has been a victim of some kind of sexual assault or attempted rape. According to the RAIN organization, R-A-I-N-N, the most Serious victims, where we find the most prevalence, are young women ages 12 to 34. And in the United States, there were 463,634 victims of rape and sexual assault in the last year. Unfortunately, this is more common than we'd like it to be, and there are some very strong and powerful people dealing with this issue. I have one on my show today, and you're going to enjoy her comments as we talk about the incidence of sexual assault, what you can do about it in our first segment, how, how, how common it is, and what women can do to protect themselves. Then I'd like to talk more about the process of empowerment how to help women recover, and how for how we can find our own internal strength. We're also going to cover Harvey Weinstein and the cases around his aggression and sexual assault issues. And we're going to close talking about inequity in pay for women and the resolution of that by my guest, Jeannie Harrison. So let me take a moment to introduce you to Jeannie Harrison. Jeannie is from the law firm, Jeannie Harrison Law Firm, and it's a top-rated women's rights law firm handling sexual assault, equal pay, and other employment cases. She's been the lead counsel for the women of Riot Games, who secured a record-breaking $100 million settlement and many workplace reforms. We'll be talking about those reforms in the latter half of the show. She was also counsel for Harvey Weinstein's former personal assistant in her sexual harassment case and other women against Weinstein. And Jeannie has been a a part of many organizations which represent consumer rights, including president of the Consumer Attorneys Association of Los Angeles. And she's been listed as one of the super lawyers, one of the top 10 Southern California super lawyers here in Southern California. So I'd like to welcome to the show, Jeannie Harrison. Jeannie, glad to have you on the Renee Fraser Show. Renee, it's my honor. I'm very excited to talk with you about these incredibly important issues. I love the title and purpose behind your show. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, thank you. You heard that I want to help women lead and succeed. And I think one of the 
reasons uh, that uh, the show is important to me as I have been a, a mentor and a, a, an associate of so many women over the years who are strong and successful, but we all have our own weaknesses. And I see inside myself and in others, a sense of vulnerability, unfortunately. And I think it's important to talk about that and be open about that. Uh, and I think that uh, some of that is what's gonna come up in our conversation as we talk about sexual harassment and sexual assault. Uh, can you talk to us about the definition of harassment and assault, just so we can frame the issue? Yes, absolutely. Um, and let me do that directly. But I also want to circle back around when we have a moment to this whole issue of um, weaknesses and vulnerability, because I kind of frame things a little bit differently, including for my clients. So let me first respond to your question about what's the uh, definition of sexual harassment and sexual assault. So sexual harassment in the employment context is a situation where another person can be a man, a woman, or not non-binary individual makes a person feel uncomfortable in the workplace because of sex, right? And so it is not necessarily um, for that, the, the perpetrator's sexual pleasure necessarily. It really is rooted in power. An abuse of power is what typically happens and where it's coming from. So, but what happens when sexual harassment is occurring is that the victim um, uh, feels like their terms and conditions of the workplace have been changed because of the approach of the perpetrator, right? And so in California, we're lucky because the law has changed to become, uh, uh, you know, very sort of broad, uh, look, it looks broadly at the experiences that really happen in the workplace, the sexual harassment experiences, and it really takes into consideration, well, what's the effect on the victim? And if the victim feels like this is inappropriate, it's crossing the line, it makes the victim feel like they can no longer do their job or they're uncomfortable in their job, they're dissuaded from doing their job, they can't really focus the way they were able to before. And it's, it's really that, you know, sex-related um, uh, overture by somebody, uh, then we, we are in the realm of sexual harassment. So, I mean, tangible examples are things that we have, I think, probably all experienced. Um, it's one thing for a coworker to say, oh my gosh, I love that dress. That's a great dress. It's a mm -hmm. whole other thing for a boss to say, you look really hot in that dress. And I think you ought to wear skirts that are shorter than that as often as possible. So those are very different overtures, right? Right. right. So sexual assault or assault or battery, um, there's a difference between assault and battery. Assault really is, and this is the lawyer stuff, but assault is the fear of an unwanted touching. Battery is an actual unwanted touching. Okay. Got it. So there is also a distinction between regular battery, <laughs> which would be non-sexual battery, Got and it. then sexual battery. Regular battery is when somebody perhaps, you know, hits me and I don't want them to hit me, you know, in the shoulder or something like that, or Got punches it. me in the face. That's a battery, just a straightforward battery. Sexual battery is where somebody touches the breast, the um, the crotch, the buttocks. 
um, those areas that are sex related areas, really. Okay. Let's, let's talk for just a moment about this area of sexual harassment. And on the show, I like to offer all sides, right, points of view. I, I hear that the way you've talked about it, Jeannie, in California, it has to do with the feelings of the of the woman. And if she feels that she's being she, she's uncomfortable in the workplace. Now, what I hear from men is I didn't know that I made her feel that way. I didn't realize that uh, she was interpreting it that way. Men will often fe- use an excuse of that nature. And, you know, I, I have empathy for that because I grew up in an era in the 80s and 90s where men told dirty jokes and we laughed where I felt uncomfortable and I didn't say anything. Now I regret that. We're in a different era now where you can say, hey, I don't like those kinds of comments. Knock it off, please. And it's incumbent upon us, particularly I think as older women, if we're in a situation where we hear it happening, that we we say stop and, and we take on the um, uh, the role of, uh, of being honest about how uncomfortable that makes other women feel. Uh, and and do that with uh, con- confidence and uh, an out of care and concern for both sides. But this is a problem for some men. They don't realize what they're doing is making women feel uncomfortable. Right. But and, and I appreciate what you're saying here. And the fact is, is that we have actually come a long way in terms of the laws that protect people in the workplace, employees in the workplace, and what the actual expectations are in the workplace, okay? And regulating behavior in the workplace. Listen, the whole concept behind all of this is that we as individuals were um, uh, appropriately hired into the positions that we were hired into. You know, the bosses who made the decisions thought that we were good enough to do the jobs, regardless of whether we're male, female, or non-binary. And we should be allowed to do our jobs without being harassed based on a protected class, being a woman, our race, you know, our religion, these kinds of things. And so the whole thing is like, okay, you come into my workplace as a boss. I want everybody just to be, you know, treated appropriately. And this is not a workplace where sex is part of the workplace, sex between coworkers and all of these kinds of things. It's not, it's this, you know, this isn't a place where that is, is a normal incidence of discussion or for example, in a strip club, you're obviously going to be seeing, um, you know, women or men who are scantily clad. They could still be sexually harassed at work. Believe That's me. Right. Okay. Right. But th- the fact is, is that, you know, we have a right to come to work and do our jobs and be free of sexual harassment. So men have to understand and women who might engage in that behavior have to understand that it has no place at work. It's not relevant. I got it. I think uh, Jeannie Harrison, this is going to be a very fascinating conversation as we talk about the power dynamic that often happens at work. You're listening to the Renee Frazier show where we talk about why women We're talking about sexual assault. And we're going to be discussing in the next section how women can recover. But also, are there predators? Are there men out there that really profile certain women that they may target as their victims in sexual harassment and sexual assault? Stay tuned for that conversation with Jeannie Harrison. 
Welcome back to the Renee Frazier Show. We're talking with Jeannie Harrison of the Jeannie Harrison Law Firm. Jeannie is a, a well-renowned lawyer. She was part of the team that secured $17 million for Weinstein's victims. And she was really the important counsel for Harvey Weinstein's former personal assistant in her sexual harassment case. And for many of the other women, Jeannie has a a track record of dealing with assault as well as pay equity. And I want to hear more about her experiences with this. Jeannie, when we left off, we were talking about the fact that there are men who actually profile and target certain women. And you've seen this pattern in the workplace. Tell us more about that. Oh, yes. Well, um, these are predators. And uh, I think one of the most well-known contemporary examples uh, is Harvey Weinstein. Um, he, I've, I've referred to him as really the sort of Jeffrey Dahmer of sexual harassers and sexual batterers. Um, he was absolutely prolific. And where this comes from is, again, the abuse of power. He loved having power and forcing women to do what he wanted, which was give him sexual gratification. And he wielded that power uh, relentlessly with everyone. So anyone who would potentially benefit from or be a person who could have a part in, whether it's a writer, another, you know, um, actor, uh, somebody in his company, et cetera, anybody who had less power than he, but who wanted to be a part of the work that he did, um, most people really were subjected to his sexual harassment and sexual battery. And, and as women, it, I think they they believe they have to conform. I mean, there's a and you know obviously there's always the casting couch myth in Hollywood, right? So I feel like there, there were many forces causing women to accept his uh, his uh, enticements. Uh, they didn't feel like they had a choice, right? That was the the power I dynamic. Would, I wouldn't even call it except his enticements. He was explicit. Okay. He explicit, said, right. I'll oh, get yeah. you this part. I'll give you that opportunity. Oh my it's, God. Wow. Uh, if you want to work, you will be nice to me. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Other women I've slept with are X, Y, and Z, he would say. And you see what she got. So if you, want me to be your friend, then you need to be my friend. Terrible. And what that means is you are going to give me a massage. You are going to take off your clothes. You are going to X, Y, and Z. Okay. And so that was part of what he would say, but that was also in the context of what he was doing, which was physically aggressive, okay? Pushing women down onto chairs, into bathrooms, closing doors, pinning them in an elevator, shoving his hand up below their skirt when they're pinned against a wall with his gut. He used his gut as a weapon to hold women against surfaces, Terrible. It could not move. Okay. 
And then, and then when, and then when, if women would not give him what he wanted, if a specific woman refused, well, she did get blacklisted. All right. And that's what you see from, for example, Ashley Judd's lawsuit. And she was uh, she's suing Harvey Weinstein um, personally. And, you know, she claims that she was uh, basically uh, written out of not given the opportunity to be in in um, the Hobbit movies and whatnot. Um, so, you know, he really did. Wield he really acted that on way. it. He acted on it. My God. He had, yeah, he had um, what he called a green room next to his office and he had a couch there. He would tell women to come and meet with him and he would order his personal assistants to call women and say, Harvey would like for you to come meet with him at such and such a time in his office here. So we'll expect you, we'll send a car, et cetera, et cetera. And so then the women are alone with him. Uh, in his office, he takes them into the green room and says, I'm going to get I'm going to get a, a script for you to read. Right. Or I'm going to show you a film. And I think you'd be really interested in this. And maybe we can get a part for you in this. Oh. And then what he does is he attacks them in that room on that couch. Awful, awful. I mean, I, and I, if you had over 80 victims, you said that he had. This was a, a constant phenomena with him. He must have had quite a reputation. I mean, I'm amazed that it took so much time for the women to finally come forward. And it was the story in The New Yorker, I thought, that really broke the story. Yes, The New Yorker and The New York Times. And um, my client, Sandy Bray Hall, who was his former personal assistant, um, uh, helped uh, Megan Tui and Jody Cantor in their um, articles for the, the New York Times. And so there were over 80 women who were interviewed by the claims administrator directly uh, for the Harvey Weinstein claims. And so I, I, she uh, indicated to me, that claims administrator, that she heard the same pattern of behavior from him. Over and over, over and over, dozens of times. There were some minor variations when it was a direct employee of his company versus um, an actress, you know, who was still looking for a part or perhaps a writer, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But he did the same things over and over and over again. And you know, it's I, I, terrible, terrible. It is chilling. And I'm glad that you were able to get justice for those women. I, you know, I ran a large ad agency in Los Angeles in the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, there's two ways I saw this happening. One is where I saw the men in the office and over 50 dating and taking out the younger women in the office on a regular basis. And these men were married. And I had to call them on it and tell them it was inappropriate. And they insisted that it was a consensual relationship. The young women loved, liked them, loved them. And I had to explain that's the power dynamic. They have other men that they date. They have other relationships. But because we're in an office environment where you're offering them a move up in their careers, that's why they're relating to you in the way you think is an honest, genuine relationship. Boy, it was a hard conversation to have. And then on the other side, when I stepped into the role, I was in a number of meetings with senior management, you know, where a hand would slip from under the table onto my thigh, and I'd have to abruptly get up and leave the room or go get coffee. And 
avoid being alone with the men. There were there was one awful experience where I was in a hotel and the client the, the clients were in other rooms, which was fine. But the gentleman who was my senior asked if he could come to my room for a conversation. And I said, no, I'd really prefer to go downstairs. He insisted on coming in. I got fully dressed and sat there. I called my husband and said, if I don't call you in 10 minutes, you must call the downstairs at the front desk because so-and-so is insistent on coming to my room. And sure enough, there was a physical altercation. And I, I just had to be very loud and say, this is not what I want. But it was hard. It was hard because I knew this would help me move up in my career. I'm ashamed that I had to even go through it. It made me feel guilty, like maybe I'd done something wrong. Tell me about that, Jeannie. I bet a lot of women feel that way. Yeah, Renee, thanks for sharing those stories. And um, I, I, too, have been through an awful lot of sexual harassment in my career, all the way from the beginning of when I worked for the first law firm I ever worked for um, before I even went to law school, when I was in college. And one of the partners, the male partners, um, grabbed me and um, felt, you know, grabbed my chest and my my rear end. And so it was an abrupt physical altercation that I had to extricate myself from. And at that point, I think I was about 18 years old. And so, I mean, it's story after story after story. And honestly, Renee, I think that, I mean, those things actually, that counted as sexual battery. That was an actual sexual battery, right? right, That I experienced. So I think the numbers are actually very substantial. I think it's higher than the statistic that rain has because they go unreported that, you know, one in six women have experienced sexual battery. I think it's much higher, right? It's underreported. It's just most of us don't, most of us don't share these stories. You're listening to the Renee Frazier show. We're talking about the real serious problem of sexual harassment. I was just raising the issue, Jeannie, of women taking it on themselves. We Women tend to do internal attribution. They're responsible for other people's behaviors. Men tend to push it externally. But in the case of harassment, we have been made to believe that, well, maybe it's the dress I wore. Maybe it's the way I talked. What do we do? How do we change that uh, that paradigm for women? Right. And the fact is, it's not our fault. Exactly. It's not our fault. And we'll talk about that more specifically when we come back from the break, I think. Thank you. That's right. You're listening to the Renee Frazier show. We're going to be talking about sexual harassment from a woman's perspective and how we can help women recover. I'm interviewing Jeannie Harrison, who has handled the Harvey Weinstein cases and recently was able to get a $100 million settlement plus major workplace reforms at Riot Games. Stay tuned to learn more. Welcome back to the Renee Frazier Show. We're talking with Jeannie Harrison about sexual assault, sexual harassment, and unfortunately how prevalent it is. Sometimes we as women take it upon ourselves and feel like we're causing it. That's totally wrong. Jeannie, help us understand this better. Right. Thank you, Renee. We do often take it upon ourselves. Um, And men do, too. You know, much smaller incidents of harassment, sexual harassment towards men. But it does happen. And so people worry. 
is it because of what I wore? I mean, like that's the age old, right? She's mm-hmm. worn X and that, therefore she was raped. No, it's not that. It's about the perpetrator, okay? Because the reality is, just like in the Weinstein cases, no matter what the women wore, it didn't matter that my client, Harvey Weinstein's personal assistant, wore leggings and um, sweats and dressed herself as unattractively as she possibly could. She was still sexually battered by Harvey Weinstein whenever he wanted to do it. And that's the point. It's about the perpetrator. It's not about the victim and nothing that we as victims or the women as victims, nothing that you can do will change the character and the actions of the perpetrator. And the perpetrator knows, knows exactly who is the best person for them to come after at any given point in time. It's the person that they have this innate ability to focus on as being the having the least amount of power in yes. the relationship dynamic. I'm talking about, I see it all the time, Renee, that men in power will target women who are immigrants, women who are, you know, single parents, young women who don't have their power yet, and that kind of thing. So they know exactly who to look for, and they engage in what we know as grooming behavior, pushing the boundaries a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further, and, you know, injecting things like, well, you you want to raise, don't you? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you want that new, new the promotions, right? They, you? They're, the and they're wielding the power in a subtle way to, to get your behavior to conform. Let, let me ask, though, just so we're clear for the audience, what do you do to stop it? it and so, you said these words haven't found their power yet. You have to find your power, don't you? Yes, we do have to find our power. And one of the things I tell my clients is if you feel on the inside that what's happening to you is wrong and you're uncomfortable, then you are right. You are correct and you need to listen to yourself. One of the worst things that we do, and we all have done it, is we ignore that internal um, self-preservation and self-protection voice that comes up. We have that for a reason, all right? All of us have it. And so what we have to do is, number one, if you're a victim of sexual harassment or you feel like you're being treated inappropriately, keep a written record. It's really important, and I'll tell you why. But secondly, you also need to report this to someone at your workplace, whether it is HR, a different supervisor, the owner of the company, et cetera, because I guarantee you that the conduct will not stop if it actually is a perpetrator and not just a a, a random, relatively innocent mistake, right? Yes, this is part of a plan. This is the way those people behave and they're deliberate in it. So you do have to speak to HR or to a colleague, right? If you report it to a colleague and then you said, write it down. Put right down the incidents, the date and the time, I suppose, as well. Ab- absolutely. You need to do that. And if possible, also identify who was around or if no, you know, where it happened. So you have details. 
you will be, um, uh, they will ask most, li most likely for the details for the information when HR is doing an investigation, which it's obligated under the law to do in California. And so you wanna be able to provide that information because the reality is, if the employer takes this seriously and is doing their job properly, they will make sure that the perpetrator does not continue this conduct and they need their own proof and they right. need to have evidence so that they can support the decision that they're making to fire the person or suspend them or whatnot. They need their own proof from you. So provide it's it hard, to them. It's hard to do that when you feel vulnerable. You know, as you pointed out, these perpetrators also go up, know to go after women who may yes. feel a lack of self-confidence, lack their own power. And I talked at the outset how many of us feel vulnerable and we all have our vulnerable moments, even if we're successful. And uh, those young women in particular that seem to be the most prevalent victims, they themselves have vulnerability. How do you see that happening in these cases? So I absolutely do. And you're right, Renee, we all are vulnerable in many different ways, but that is not, I do not count that as a weakness. I count it as actually a beautiful part of our unique individual personalities. Being vulnerable is what allows you and I to have this conversation. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. And if we were not able to be vulnerable, then this conversation wouldn't be happening. So it is a beautiful part of person of people's personalities that they are willing to be open to others and right. to share, share and to receive. Right. And be empathetic True. and all of those things and compassionate. True. So we want people to be able to retain those parts of their themselves. Um, the reality is it takes great courage and strength in the face of fear to step up and stand up for oneself and to report somebody for the bad things that they're doing. It is a courageous act. It is protective of oneself and it is protective of others to do right. that kind of thing, to speak out about, about behavior that's bad. And so we wouldn't allow our children to engage in this kind of behavior, right? We right. wouldn't allow our children to sexually harass others, and nor should we allow that to happen in the workplace when we see it happening to others or to ourselves. We need to stand up for ourselves. I want, to, I want to mention children because I think one of the takeaways from this show is what do I do with my own children, my daughters? And I'll just remind the audience, you're listening to the Renee Frazier show, and we're talking at a very deep level about harassment, sexual harassment, sexual assault. When I think of young girls, and I see this in some of the volunteer work that I do, there's a strong emphasis on letting girls express when they feel uncomfortable or unfairly treated, uh, more so than I was growing up, that young girls can talk from that protective self-voice that you talked about, right? That they can listen to themselves and share how they feel. I want time alone. I don't want to play with that person. I'd like to be able to, I don't want them to stand so close to me. And they seem odd at times, but these are, these are this is training for young girls and young boys to be able to create boundaries and to be able to recognize that internal feeling and be able to articulate it. Yes, absolutely. It's so important. And what I find in my work representing victims of sexual harassment and sexual battery is that when 
my client has historically ignored that voice of self-preservation and self-protection, it just becomes a slippery slope. It becomes easier and easier and easier because they are training themselves to ignore that self-protection. So they're ignoring it. They don't, don't write it down. They don't tell anyone. They just assume, oh, it'll get better. It'll get better. When in reality, it's getting worse. It's it's that pro- proverb we hear about. You put a frog in warm water and turn up the temperature. They don't jump out. But if it's boiling water, they jump out. But unfortunately, you're getting acclimated to it, you're saying, and they accept it as the victim, not realizing that they have to speak out. I, you know, but you worry about what's going to be said about you, right? Oh, other people are going to say this, or I might lose my job. I guess that's why you go to HR, right? Because technically there can't be retaliation. Yes. So that is exactly what we need to talk about now. Yes, we the, the fear of the of negative consequences from speaking out is what keeps women and others from coming forward. And I understand that fear. Um, because it is real, it, retaliation does happen in some workplaces, but it is also possible that the employer is going to do the right thing. Okay. And we certainly as employees have an, our own independent obligation to come forward and report when the rules, the policies of the you know company are being violated. Because I guarantee you, every single one of these companies has a written policy that prohibits sexual harassment and that tells employees that they can come and report to HR or to a supervisor or to the president of the company. So that policy exists. We have a right to report under those policies. When you go forward and you report, if you have a record that you reported, meaning a written record, you email yourself, you do the reporting and writing, then you really do have protection as essentially a whistleblower. There will be it. a record of your reporting, right? right? You, you become a whistleblower when you report these things. And then if the employer does the wrong thing and it actually retaliates, they can be held liable and responsible for the damages they incur to a reporting a, a whistleblower. So does that mean you have to get a, a, a lawyer involved? It does, but at least you have protected yourself and you are not you know, then in that situation of the, the water getting hotter and hotter. and the Exactly. It's the boiling. smart thing to do. And it, it, it allows you to help other women as well. Right. When you when you make a record of it and you report it, you know, Jeannie Harrison, you've been giving us great advice and insights about how sexual harassment, sexual assault and battery can creep up on you and be a part of our lives in the workplace. I want to talk about your theme line, your tagline, helping women recover uh, in our next segment, because I think it's important for women to know, and that's recovery with several different meanings of helping women recover. So stay tuned to the Renee Frazier Show. We're going to talk with Jeannie Harrison in more detail about how can women can recover from sexual assault and the inequities in pay, we're going to talk about the Riot Games situation and the case that she settled for $100 million and true workplace reform. Stay tuned. This is the Renee Frazier Show, where we talk about why women. And today we're talking about sexual harassment, sexual battery, particularly in the workplace, with the esteemed attorney, Jeannie Harrison. 
We left off talking about how can women recover and get stronger from these incidents? How do they take responsibility and writing it down, reporting it, and getting an advocate for you, an attorney to represent you? But we also want to talk about the theme that she uses, which I thought was wonderful. And Jeannie really lives this in her practice, which is helping women recover. Jeannie, what does that mean in your firm? Yes, thanks, Renee. That's exactly what I say. When people ask me what I do, I say I help victims recover. And that is a very broad statement. One of the most important things to me as a human being, let alone, let alone a lawyer, but as a human being, is to help my clients recover emotionally. Um, I catch people in the free fall of their trauma when they have been victimized by sexual harassment, they've lost their jobs because they stood up for what was right. They said, no, you can't do that to me. Or they said, I deserve to be treated um, and paid fairly uh, comparable to what my, my male cohorts are being paid. But yet then they lose their job as a result. And this has devastating consequences for the individual, um, both emotionally and financially. So I am here to help my clients recover. What I do is I use the legal system to help my clients take back their power, right? They take back their power, which has been taken from them, from the perpetrator of sexual harassment, from the decision maker in gender discrimination. I help them take back their power. They plant their flag. Yeah, I love that. And what I what I hear from you is it's an emotional and psychological process. It's feeling I'm not ashamed. It's not my fault. Uh, I've done the right thing. I'm doing my job well. And it's it's allowing that person to feel uh, more confident and comfortable in who they are when some of the external stimuli are telling them, uh uh-uh, uh 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 uh. And unfortunately, the perpetrator and the environment can send that signal. So you're bolstering them in an important way. I think, you know, the financial is very important, but it's also psychological so that women can recover their own strength and power. And in so many cases too, feel like, okay, I've done this for other women. Others won't suffer, right? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, where we were talking about when people ignore that internal self-preservation voice um, and they don't speak up and they silence themselves. That's a slippery, slippery slope into further victimization. Oftentimes when they speak out and take a stand on behalf of themselves and in so doing on behalf of others, it's, it's creating muscle memory, right? For them emotionally. So that when, and if something happens again in the future, they know innately how to stand up for themselves instead of ignoring that voice. And that is one of the most important components I found of personal healing and recovery, emotional recovery. So we are here at my firm to support the women who come forward. I love that. that. Yeah, in in that quest for their own power, taking back their power and their own emotional recovery. And it's a very inspiring process to be part of. I love what I do because I help people. And that may, that means the world to me. It really I does. love I'm, I'm encouraged to hear this, Jeannie, and I'm, I'm delighted to, to see your passion for this. Tell us about the riot case, how it started, what 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 the process was and what we should all be looking for when we're 
thinking that there may be inequities in the way we're being paid at our workplace? Well, um, here's the deal is that pay inequity um, harming women uh, because of their gender is prolific. It happens, it's ubiquitous. It happens all over the place in California. Um, and for women in the lowest paid jobs, the highest paid jobs, okay? So if you think you might be being paid less as a woman than your male comparator, somebody who's doing the same job essentially as you and who has um, very similar um, qualifications, right? You probably are. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. and the reality is that that has a negative economic consequence and impact for you for decades to come because you have less money for a down payment for a house, where which is the main way that we build um, financial security, right? And it, 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 you have less money to invest in, in stocks or whatever, or even create your business. So it has decades, decades of negative consequences for women. So in California, you have a right to talk about how much you make, to ask others how much they make, okay? In comparison to you in your job in similar that, positions. That's something relatively new. I, I don't believe that used to be the case. I know it was kind of inappropriate to talk about salaries in the workplace. I own my own company, so I see that with my employees. Now when I negotiate, employees come in with documents saying, well, this is what other people are paid in the same position at another company. They typically don't know within my own company, but I suppose they could ask. Is that right? Yes, they could. And so, um, and we as employers uh, have to share that information with them. Um, nor is it legal for an employer to point to prior salary or use prior salary in previous jobs for specific employees to justify an ongoing gender related pay disparity. Okay. Right. So um, I tell you, one of, if you, if people, if your listeners want to hear about a story where th there's a company doing this right, then watch the 60 minute segment about Salesforce, Salesforce. On, yes. mm -hmm, on pay equity issues. Then you'll understand what it looks like when a company's doing it the right way. I tell you, in the Riot Games case, um, the fact is, is that from the inception of that company, which it's one of the biggest gaming companies in the world, right, um, with League of Legends, it's a very popular game. Um, and, and from the inception of that company, <clears throat> women were both sexually harassed, women were both sexually harassed, and they were paid differently from men, less than their male comparators. And given um, fewer job opportunities in equal, you know, positions. They weren't promoted um, and, and that kind of thing. You know, I have to say that that industry is notorious for not having enough women and particularly women in senior management. But then to know that there's been a history of paying women less than men when they at least out, outwardly speak of how they want women to be inside the organization. How disingenuous. I mean, uh, and what a serious problem. How many women were involved in the case, in the Riot Games case, and how did it affect the, you know, the internal dynamics? Right. So um, the, the group of class members is about a thousand women, wow. um, actually about 1300 women, because we also include um, contractors, temporary workers. Right. 
And so the way it affected women is to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars um, for individual people. Oh, my the, goodness. The, wow. Yes, in their salary about, differences over the years, right? In their so salary. 20000 and then for five years, it's $100,000. That kind of impact? Yes, Renee, plus equity. Okay. Oh, equity. They so would, stock in the company also. That's right. And they would give men more equity than women as well. So um, it's, these are absolutely astronomically huge numbers. And uh, it has been very satisfying to me to take a stand on behalf of the women of Riot Games to be able to get a significant amount of compensation for them, but also to be able to achieve real workplace reforms where the company now has to engage in fair processes, um, fairly looking at women who want to have certain positions, tracking um, the actual pay uh, of women and keeping track of that and how much women um, are being paid when they are coming into the company. Do they have to report that, Trini, though, if they're doing that? Do they have to report it? Is there anyone that scrutinizes it to make sure that they're actually doing it fairly? How does that work? Yes, that's a great question. In California, the Department of Fair Employment and Housing uh, does actually is supposed to be receiving reporting of that kind of data um, in general, right, from companies. But in addition, we partnered with the DFEH, uh, that's the Department of Fair Employment and Housing, in this case. And the DFEH, the state, is being given some real police powers, Good. Right, right, to be able to enforce this along with us as counsel for the women. So I, as counsel to our listeners, as we wrap up the show, if they are experiencing feelings like sexual harassment, sexual assault, this touching, this discomfort. I'm not feeling good about the way they treat me in that way. Your firm is one of several they can go to to talk about this, right? And use that uh, self-protective voice inside, listening to themselves and being able to be confident enough to talk about it. One of the things I heard you say is women have to stand up for themselves and take back their power. And one way to do that is to be open and verbal about it with people who you know you can trust. Jeannie Harrison is one of those people you can trust, right? Jeannie, how do they find out about you and your firm? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Well, you can always check out my firm at www.jeannieharrisonlaw.com. And Jeannie is spelled G-E-N-I-E. And they can also call at 213-805-5301 or email me at genie at genieharrisonlaw.com. Genie is an esteemed attorney who handled uh, the sexual harassment case against Harvey Weinstein with the fir- former personal assistant and for other women against Weinstein. And she recently helped set with the settlement of riot games over $100 million. Women and men out there, be aware that sexual assault, sexual harassment are sometimes subtle and unfortunately can be baked into a culture in an organization and a company. If you're feeling unfairly treated, stand up for yourself, listen to that voice. And for those of you with young women in your family, encourage them to listen to that inner voice, to be confident to talk about how they feel and find a trusted source they could go to, to report when those feelings are off so that they can 
take back their power and own their own power. Thank you for listening. This has been the Renee Frazier Show. Remember, you can tune in on Wednesday, 7 to 8 o'clock, KABC 790. And you can hear this radio show as a podcast on the website for my company, FraserCommunications.com. Have a great week ahead.